Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Welcome one and all to Monday, Football Monday, here on the SB Nation NFL Show, presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code SBNFL, because life is more fun when you are in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void or prohibited. See DraftKings.com. For details, as noted, it is Monday, January 22nd, 2024, my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, sweetheart. I love you very much, which means it is the Monday after the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. We have four teams left, three teams left to go, one champion that will ultimately reign over all of us. Um, so we're very excited to talk about it. Make sure to subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show wherever you get your podcast. Leave a rating, write a review. You can also watch our show on the SB Nation NFL YouTube channel. Um, I say us. The incredible Rachel Prevet is on the ones and twos. Very happy, obviously, after the results of the weekend. My name is RJ Chubb from Blog on the Boys. With me, the two bestest, handsomest, smelliest writers from SBNation.com. They are Mark Schofield and JP Acosta. Mark, I would like to start the show by asking you, have you seen that Ron Rivera is going to interview for the vacant Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator job. I have not seen that. That is. Do you want to laugh at them with me? Because I. I mean, it's it. probably an upgrade from Matt Patricia and what he was doing down the stretch. So okay. Um, I also wonder if you're Nick Sirianni, is this the road you want to go down? Because I mean, we're still wondering about Sirianni's tenure and whether he's on shaky ground. You're going to bring in somebody with head coaching experience to be your new defensive coordinator. Curious, JP. That feels like hustling backwards a little bit. That feels like you're set. You're setting up for Littlefinger to usurp yeah. you in the Game of Thrones. Wow. There, like I'm telling you, one one big loss in the middle of the season, and next thing you know, Ron Rivera is going to be coaching that Eagles team. Um, either way, I whoever they pick is going to be faced with a pretty daunting task of fixing that defense because they don't have the guys to do much of anything well. Um, so we think that Ron Rivera is Littlefinger. You know, it's pretty rare that you've been a head coach for this long and you go into the coordinator role. Um, the only example I can think of, and I'm obviously very biased here, is Jason Garrett, who was a head coach for nine years and then went to – like, can can either of you name another example? Wade Phillips, yeah. Wade Phillips? Oh, Wade, I guess Wade. Maybe Gary Kubiak? Yeah. Did he ever go back? I think um, he did. Maybe he just likes the Mid-Atlantic, you know? He's been here in the D.C. area for a while. Maybe he's like, you know, Philly, check it out. I don't know. He's, I know he's also thanks, Mark. He's also a fan of history. He's also a fan of history because I was on a flight with him from Charlotte to Mobile for the Senior Bowl one year. It was like the whole Panthers staff was on the flight. It was when Gettleman was the GM. And he was reading a book about Teddy Roosevelt. And I was, I always asked him about it, but I was just like, kind of chickened out plus i'm not the world's best flyer so i was already nervous to begin with so but he maybe he just um, likes the history right um okay well that gets uh division around monday i guess it's not division around monday conference championship monday started off with a bang gentlemen we had four games over the course of the weekend four winners um do you guys want to go in chronological order like what are you feeling jp chronological or cool order you pick um I feel like we got to go cool order based on what happened last night. All right. Let's start then, um, I guess, in reverse chronological order. The Kansas City Chiefs, JP, outlasted the Buffalo Bills 27-24. to 24. They are 3-0 against Buffalo in the playoffs, in the Mahomes-Allen era. We keep getting told, JP, that these two, you know, they have all these battles. This is a one-sided affair. This isn't, you know, any kind of rivalry. Kansas City went the first road game in the playoffs in the Mahomes era. They won. Jason Kelsey was shirtless. Taylor Swift was there. And Travis Kelsey came back to life. <laughs> I just – Patrick Mahomes 
is the best quarterback in football and everybody else is fighting for second. I just, okay. when you look at what this team has done and what that team did going into Buffalo with Travis Kelsey, Rasheed Rice, and a bunch of receivers who probably would not make a roster anywhere else in the NFL. And you go in and score 27 points and you win the game. Mahomes had a phenomenal game. I mean, just looking at the sack avoidance, the big plays, the attacking downfield, it's just, it's so hard to beat this team. You have to be perfect to beat Patrick Mahomes. And it's, it puts a strain on you. I think the Bills, they kind of played to not lose. You know, they ran the ball really well. They ran the ball effectively. Josh Allen did not take that many shots downfield outside of like the fourth quarter when they were losing. It felt like they played to not give Mahomes enough time to do to them what Mahomes has done before. So going in with that fear, your game plan changes when you face the Chiefs. And I feel like that is the biggest testament to Andy Reid and a Patrick Mahomes-led team. Patrick Mahomes is 28 years old, and he'll be going to his, I believe, per Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus, he will be going into his sixth start in a conference championship, and he's 28. Like we are, we are rapidly entering like the greatest quarterback ever, like conversation. I think we've been there for a while, but this is one of the most impressive quarterback. In Mark, you're well familiar with a quarterback starting in conference championships a million years in a row. Uh, the difference, obviously, between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady is, in terms of as a regular season starter, regular full time starter, Patrick Mahomes has only ever ended seasons in the AFC. He's never finished shy of this at any point. It's a team wide accomplishment that's worth mentioning, obviously, but. Mahomes and the offense, as noted, kind of did return to proper form on Sunday. Yeah, and that was the sort of question coming into this game. I mean, there were a bunch of narratives about this game before it kicked off. But one of them was, okay, this is the year where we might have more questions about the Chiefs offense than the Chiefs defense. The Chiefs defense has played extremely well this season, did a great job, masterful job against Tua and the Dolphins in the wild card round. But we saw this offense sort of come back to life. I think a big part of it, it's fair to point out, you know, Buffalo was so thin coming into this game on the defensive side of the ball, particularly at linebacker, and a lot of the plays that you saw, they're picking on A.J. Klein in coverage with Travis Kelsey, which is probably not where the Bills' defensive staff wanted to be coming into this week, but that's where they ended up. But Mahomes is phenomenal. And to have the kind of success, the sustained success that he's had, and to J.P.'s point, like when you're forcing teams to sort of reframe their mindset and approach – on how they want to play a game because you're just so worried that we can't leave him too much time or we can't leave this game tied or, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it, it's just a testament to what they've built and what they've done and what they've accomplished. Now they got another tough one coming up. I mean, Mike McDonald is going to have some answers for them. That Baltimore Ravens defense was flying around the field on Saturday. And as JP said, before we even started, Stroud played incredibly well against that Ravens defense and then didn't score an offensive touchdown. Now you're going to get Patrick Mahomes going up against that. That's going to be fun to watch, but an absolutely tremendous job from the Chiefs on Sunday. I feel so bad for the Bills. I've I've hated on the Bills. We crockpotted them a long time ago, yeah. um, and they played well. I mean, they they played well enough to win. But I do think JP that everyone's going to bag on Tyler Bass for the missed field goal. And like, I mean, you know, do your job, obviously. But I mean. Josh Allen had a horrible fumble in this game that if it if it gets I mean these are partly luck at that point like if it gets recovered is like we don't get any of that. Sean McDermott went full out galaxy brain on the worst fake punt attempt I think we've ever seen. Buffalo also benefited from what I believe I don't think we've had this discourse on the show is the worst I mean I'm not saying this is a unique take but I'm I'm of the mindset it's the worst rule in the NFL the fumble through the end zone touchback situation like Buffalo had all these other things and we're going to isolate the kick and the field goal and the wind and the wide ride and Scott Norwood and all this stuff. But like it did feel JP like Buffalo was just riding, 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 and then ultimately just couldn't hang on the rodeo for any more time. I think Buffalo played to not lose. Josh I think the way that they structured their offense is, I mean, the run game was working really, really well. And that's, that's something that Joe Brady has kind of implemented when he when he got the office coordinator like bump up after Ken Dorsey got fired. The run game was working really well. But despite all of that, I think an underrated thing about how Buffalo played to finish the season was the passing game looked kind of sloppy. 
at certain points. Stephon Diggs was clearly not himself, wasn't getting a lot of targets. Um, the passing game just looked disjointed. And I guess that's like the trade-off, you know, the, you know, you kind of, you get good at the run game and then all of a sudden the passing game kind of falls apart. But against Kansas City, I think they lean more on the quick passing game. They kind of, they kind of became a rare, a very efficient offense, but you got to score touchdowns. You got, you got to, if you're going to play that ball control efficient game, you have to end every drive with a touchdown against Patrick Mahomes because he'll do what he, what he did to you yesterday. Like that's, it's so tough because, you know, the offense played just about as well as you possibly could. Josh Allen, I think the drops are going to do a damage. Like they're going to do a number on his total like stat line. I mean, the big Stefan Diggs drop was crazy, but it kind of felt like the bills came in with all the pressure, you know, they, they were the ones that were playing kind of tight and then that pressure ended up, Bursting their pipes at the end. Mark, um, to JP's point, Buffalo got down inside the Kansas City 30 twice without walking away with a touchdown. The field goal at the very beginning, they got all the way down to the nine-yard line. And then, of course, the missed field goal from the 26. Um, it does feel like – I talk about this all the time with the Cowboys. Like, they're clearly fighting some sort of, like, demons, right? Like, relative to, like, the drought and the history. And, like, at this point, if you're the Bills, like, how can you not, you know – like they own you, you know, like you, you can't like, you can't let go of it on, on some level. Like you, it's, you, you have to blink at a certain point and they, they, they blunk, they blunked, blinked, blinked. blunked um, whatever they blunk at the wrong time. And it costs them. Yeah. And, you know, scanning through sort of Bill's Twitter, Bill's social media, like there's a lot of, oh, they're, down bad, they're yeah. down bad right now. And this was sort of a question going in. I was on WGR, I think Thursday or Friday afternoon. And the hosts up in Buffalo were like, if we don't win this game, if we don't beat them now, then when? Like, they're coming here finally. Like, we've got Mahomes and this offense is struggling. Like, if we can't win this game, when are we ever going to beat them? And it very much reminds me of Red Sox-Yankees 2003, right? You finally mm. get them to game seven, and then Aaron Boone, of all people, goes walk off on you to break your hearts in game seven, and you're thinking, we're never going to beat them. We're never going to get over this hump. Well, you did the next year. And so to the Bills fans out there listening, there can be light at the end of this tunnel. I want to sort of piggyback off something JP said, though, because the shift in this game to sort of play not to lose to quick game, passing game, efficiency, and stuff like that was great. But Kevin Cole, who does tremendous work, had this stat this morning was like, you know, the Chiefs converted just 20% of their third downs. The Bills converted about half of their third downs. But they faced more third downs as a result of that. And the fact is that a lot of their drives as a result of that ended up with either three or field goal tries. They took away some of their big play opportunities or didn't try to hit on some of those. Then you get to the second and nine, which I think is a pivotal discussion right now because a lot of people are saying, why doesn't he hit digs on the crosser when he tries to go downfield for the shot play to get in the end zone? People are like, why don't you throw the cro crosser? This is kind of like the crux of the whole game plan. Should Allen have sort of checked it down to Diggs or should he have tried the shot play? He tried to force the shot play, which I think was the right decision. Couldn't get into the throw because he had sort of Dawkins and Chris Jones in his lap and ended up missing it. And then you get the missed field goal. So it was just the tension of marrying that idea with then trying the kill shot fell short. It, it's so funny to think about that second down that you talked about. Like most nine times out of 10, Josh Allen hits that throw. Like we've seen him hit that throw. The DB had turned turned his back to the quarterback. You never want to turn your back to the quarterback because that's going to end up as a touchdown. You can't see the ball, but he can see you. Um, if Chris Jones doesn't do a great pass rush, then, yeah, that probably ends in a touchdown. And then you're faced with, oh, Patrick Mahomes is driving with the chance to win the game. Like, again, even if that ends in a touchdown, of course we're playing hypotheticals, they've been in this situation before. They've been in the case where Patrick Mahomes has the ball with a chance to win the game and it has not ended well for the Bills. Of course, uh, also referencing Kevin Cole here, who does phenomenal work. Patrick Mahomes against the Bills in the playoffs in 2020 had a .57 EPA per play, which is 96 percentile. 2021, 93rd percentile at .51. 2023, .57, 96 percentile. He constantly beats the Bills. It is just 
I don't know what it is. I don't know. He always, he and Andy Reid always have the better game plan and the better play against the Bills in the playoffs. I don't know what you do to get over that hump. I mean, you can fire Sean McDermott if you want, but as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are in Kansas City, I don't know if any coach. Yeah, is I mean, fix and that. that's where the discussion goes in Buffalo next because there's a lot of discussion about whether you know, like you've hit your ceiling with McDermott and it's time for another voice. I don't think you have to go down that road, but I do think you need another voice in that defensive coaching room. Like, I, I think you need another viewpoint, whether it's a full-on defensive coordinator or like a senior advisor or somebody with a fresh look at how to approach, how to solve that problem. Because JP just walked us through the numbers. They, they speak for themselves. Like, Patrick Mahomes has carved you up when you faced him. Like, you need, and it's not an easy riddle to solve, but you need another viewpoint because what you're doing right now when you face them is not working. I um I don't mean to continue to relate this back to the Cowboys, but the Bills are in a similar spot in my mind. Like uh, there was a Shield Kapadia tweet that came out. I don't know if either of you saw this. Um, late Sunday, obviously it wasn't late. Like this wasn't Sunday night football. Like, you know, it wasn't midnight. You know, your time, Mark. Um, but the Shield tweet was really depressing. Obviously for Bills fans who are down bad. Uh, here it is. He said, "I don't know how you can keep doing this if you're a Bills fan. Last three seasons, they're thirty and eighteen with just two losses by more than seven points. Nothing to show for it. I mean, like so." I get that you want to say, like, we have to make a change. It's not enough. It's not working. But, like, this just seems to be something like, you know, having the career of Charles Barkley or John Stockton or whatever, somebody who had the misfortune of playing in the era of Michael Jordan is not anything to be mad about. It's just the coincidence of time. Uh, two quick ones, and then we'll move on. Uh, we'll go around. JP, um, the contractual side of things is, makes it difficult, but is Stefan Diggs a Buffalo Bill in 2024? Ooh, it's it's difficult because con contractually, like you're right. kind of tied but the, to them. But this is this, there's some there's some stuff here. Like it feels like this is one of those like we'll find a way. It feels like you kind of, you know, I'm gonna say he's go still gonna okay. be a Buffalo Bill because if you think about what they have on that roster now, Gabe Davis is a free agent, and then if you get rid of Diggs, you're going into an off season with Dalton Kincaid and Khalil Shakir as your two best pass catching targets who are both still rather unproven. So you, you need someone there. I think it's more on Joe Brady finding the the mesh, the mesh point between the pass Mark, and running. Does he stay or go? I think he stays, but I, I, I do think that wide receiver is certainly a position they're going to look at, whether it's draft, whether it's free agency, whether it's both. Cause like, I don't know if he's like wide receiver one right now at, at this point in his career. I think he's like one B. And you kind of need a 1A. It's like an Adam Thielen needed his Justin Jefferson. It's, I think it's a situation like that. And, look, there are going to be wide receivers in this free agency class. There are going to be wide receivers in this draft. I think that's where they should go here. It's interesting that you chose Adam Thielen, who had Stephon Diggs, of all people. Uh, but, um, yeah, I only bring this up. It was a year ago during the Super Bowl week that Trayvon Diggs told us at Blog and the Boys. He told all Dallas Cowboys fans to tweet to get Stephon to Dallas, blah, blah, blah. And then shortly after, Stephon, like, kind of – I think they're – we're, I guarantee you both that they're going to connect themselves to the Cowboys this offseason because that's what they do. Um, last one, um, real quick thoughts, JP, the fumble out the end zone touchback rule. You down with it or you want to change? If you don't want it to be a touchback, okay, don't so you fumble. have the wrong opinion here. Mark, please save us. I'm, I'm kind of with JP here. Like, if you, I, I just mm -hmm. saw the tweet from Jeremy Fowler, they're going to look at it, but like. You know, Travis Kelsey had a similar play where he didn't extend it. Like, if it's fourth down and it's going to have a situation, yeah, extend it. Otherwise, I don't. If if you want to tweak it, give it to the defense, give it to the team, but at the spot and not a touchback. But, yeah, I, I'm generally okay with it. What would the spot be? Because it's going through the end zone. The spot where the like fumble the happened. Like, Yeah, spot yeah. where the whether he lost control of the okay. ball. So I mean, like on this play speaking though, it's it's the one it's like this never happens at the five yard line. That's all I'm saying. Like it's approximately the one yard line every single time. Sure. Sure. I'm also fine. I'm Put fine with in. that. If we have to compromise, I'm also fine with if you want to penalize the offense and take them back to their own 25, like make it a touchback for them. I'm cool with that. Like there should be some sort of punishment, but taking the ball away is dumb. Yeah. It's a fumble. Don't fumble. It's a fumble. Just just don't fumble. 
Like, anyway, let's move on. Mark, the Detroit Lions are heading back to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1991. They had to earn it. It was dramatic. It was cathartic, potentially. Uh, but they are indeed playing for a ticket to the Super Bowl. 31-23, to 23, the final score over the surprisingly plucky Buccaneers, not just on Sunday, but in general this season. Your thoughts on the Lions, Dan Campbell, whatever you want. I mean, yeah, I think cathartic is a good way to look at it because it looked like, okay, you're going to win this thing going away. You're up two scores now. And then suddenly, look, they they got an answer. You know, Baker goes down the field, they score. Um, but they, you know, held on and an impressive win. JP called their win over the Rams sort of their proof of concept game, you know, given the draft, given all the discussions and what was written about their draft class. The Gibbs touchdown was like the proof of concept like moment or it was like the conclusion to that little argument because what he did to Antoine Winfield Jr. in the open field was the reason why he was a first round pick, like to create an explosive play on the ground in a moment like that was massive. And look, hats off to Jared Goff, you know, because I sure. said going into this game, like, look, if there was a defense that was going to find a way to make a mistake, force an interception, force a turnover, give Baker Mayfield a short field is what they were going to do. And they were going to get pressure on him. And there were some times where he had to stand in the pocket and take a hit and deliver a throw. And he did that time and time again. A very, very, very impressive performance from them. In 2022, I wrote that the Lions were becoming a image of Dan Campbell. Every team, every great team is a reflection of their coach. It's why the Patriots were so successful. So they felt machine-like. They felt robotic because of the prep, because of the timing. The Cowboys always lose in the playoffs because Mike McCarthy loses in the playoffs as a reflection of the coach. Dan Campbell and the Lions, they are always going to be in a game. They're never going to be out of it. They are always constantly looking for ways to improve. You can go back to this offseason. They trade DeAndre Swift to draft Amir Gibbs. At the time when it happened in the draft, I didn't think it was a great idea because they still had Swift on the roster. I'm like, why do you need Swift and Gibbs and Montgomery? But Jameer Gibbs has been, for all intents and purposes, a massive upgrade over Especially DeAndre when they Swift. save him. You know what I mean? Like, um, keep him on ice, keep him on ice, and then unleash him. It's amazing. Exactly. And then you draft Jack Campbell with the second pick. Their linebacker room has been a lot better this year with Jack Campbell playing off ball. Brian Branch had phenomenal plays this uh on sunday their ability to constantly improve and never be complacent with where they are they could have been complacent with nine and eight last year i mean okay we can just run this back no they constantly got better they constantly look for areas to improve and when they needed it most they leaned on their stars they leaned on the guys that got them to the dance it is jared goff hitting dig routes to amon rossain brown it's the offensive line creating pathways for Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery in the run game. It's timely plays from the young guys that have been developed. The Derek Barnes interception was so cool because earlier in the year, Dan Campbell talked about how Derek Barnes kind of needed to eat it to kind of go through the fire, you know, of being a young linebacker in the NFL. We're playing linebackers really freaking hard right now. It's one of the most difficult spots to play in the NFL. And with your, when you're a young guy, you kind of just need to sit there and go through the fire. And you could see that moment kind of pay off on the game-sealing interception. This team, it's so, it's so fun. They're such a fun team to watch because you can see the young guys who have learned and grown. Even Jameer Gibbs, not as a runner. In the pass blocking department, he has some great blocks to help open up lanes for Jared Goff to throw. That matters a lot because coming into the draft, it was – can Jameer Gibbs hold up in pass protection? That kind of stuff matters, and it speaks testaments to Dan Campbell and the development that they have done on that coaching staff. I mean, I think this goes without saying, but I think the Lions are an incredible lesson for us all. But I think that we've learned lessons that we didn't even anticipate from the Lions. Like, um, obviously, you know, this is you know, up to Brad Holmes, you know, memory and only his. But, like, I wonder, like, if he gave consideration to, like, adjusting the trade with LA and not taking Jared Goff. You know what I mean? Like this is like a, a, a lesson in like, take the quarterback, like, you know, take, take, you know, don't, don't just live in assumption. Don't just like live off the moment. I mean, like Jared Goff's stock was as low as it probably ever has been right when the Lions traded for him. 
And the dude dealt with a lot of crap and persevered. And we've all obviously given him his flowers and he certainly deserves them. But like, I mean, we all thought like, okay, the Lions are committing to this idea and it's going to be this rebuild and they're going to build this team and then they're going to get their quarterback. And like everything about that changed. Like when I don't know what the precedent for this is. Like we've seen the precedent for like tearing it down and landing the quarterback and et cetera, et cetera. Or we've seen the precedent for capitalizing on the rookie window, even first round picks or whatever the case may be. And sometimes it fails, but it's still the right logic. Like I always thought the way Chicago went about things was still smart, even though it didn't work out for Mitchell Trubisky. Obviously, when the Chiefs signed Sammy Watkins, when they had Mahomes cheap, but like, this is super cool. Like what the Lions are doing, like it's really unique. Um, and obviously the fans and the story and everything is like super um, impressive. And and Mark, if they go slay San Francisco, I mean, like, it, like, it will be, I hesitate to say like the greatest run ever, but it, it will be a really special overall sequence. Yeah, it, it would be an incredible sequence. And I think sort of to your point there, like, the lesson is that quarterback evaluation is hard. Rookie quarterback, draft quarterback evaluation is hard. A somewhat or well-known commodity in Jared Goff might be the better play than to, right. sort of taking the swing because, you know, say they drafted a quarterback in one of the more recent cycles, you know, like Kenny Pickett landed in Detroit around this. Like, oh. I don't know if they're going on this run. And so I think that's a lesson. There's a couple of things I wanted to hit that JP touched on. One, the Patriots machine makes me have to bring up the John Malkovich CBS promo before Jags Pats. The machine stops on one of the greatest football promos ever. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. It is well worth it. Go find it. That, that, yeah, I mean, I, I've probably rewatched that a couple of times this month alone, and it's years later. It's so good. Also, the 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 talk about the lines in their draft. I think it gets to sort of an undercurrent of this entire season, which is sort of JP's spine theory of football, right? You're talking about a running back, a linebacker, an interior defensive back who's safety slash nickel and a tight end. Like that's what they addressed with their first four picks in there in the NFC championship game. It's getting us to that sort of up the middle through baseball or spine theory and football idea, which I think is sort of an undercurrent of this entire season. Finally, Frank Ragnow. Can we give that man his flowers for a second? Because he got rolled up on, I think, it's going to be like we get whenever their season ends, it's going to be like when the hockey playoffs end for a team and you learn, oh, this person who had a chest injury had a collapsed lung, five broken ribs, a fractured patella and a torn ACL and played through the entire NHL playoffs. Like Ragnall's injury list when their season ends is going to be extensive. But to do what he did on fourth and one to Vita Vea, to stand him up and then when Vea countered to re-anchor all on a multitude of injuries for that touchdown. Absolutely phenomenal. Tremendous. There was somebody on threads, good follower, Sarah, who was like, that wasn't just tremendous. It was necessary. And he did it in that moment and he deserves his flowers and everything else. I think the coolest thing about the Jared Goff discussion is kind of the concept of growing where you're watered. You know, I think that is a big thing with Jared Goff, I think to an extent, Tua in Miami, it's when people pour into you and want to see you like grow and develop, you play with a lot more confidence. Jared Goff is playing with a really high level of confidence right now. And it comes from the belief that Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson have in him being able to execute. Of course, you know, it's also Ben Johnson designing plays that are like they're notable for Jared Goff. Those are the the 12-yard digs, I talk about it all the time. Love someone as much as Jared Goff loves throwing a 12-yard dig. The Lions offense is kind of structured around the 12-yard dig. You use play action in the run game to move guys off their spot, and then they hit you in the spine of the defense. That kind of stuff matters. Grow, being, in, being in a place where people want you around matters a lot because you, you play with a lot more confidence, a lot more freedom. Of course – the way it ended with Jared Goff in LA, you, there can be blame placed on all sides, but to the most, for the most part, it's been a win-win for both both sides. And the Goff lesson is a good lesson for life too. If you're watching this, if you're listening, like go where you're loved, be stay where you're loved. Like that's part of life. I would also just on top of that, like I would offer, like you, like Jared Goff is an incredible, you know, example of like continuing to work. And not not like getting too big for your own britches. Like, look at the dude who was taken after him. Like when Carson Wentz got traded out of Indianapolis, like he he was complete. I mean, I don't want to like just throw. And I believe the way they handled that was really poor. 
but like he was completely like oh man like philly was the problem it wasn't me like now i'm here to be your savior and all sorts of stuff and like i think carson played better than people like to give him credit for in that that initial season in, in indianapolis i'm not not saying well jp but you know i mean whatever anyway um jared goff was completely fine being humbled by the moment and taking it and not you know allowing himself to be like i'm better than this organization just because of whatever i've been a part of in terms of accomplishments by the way um the lions did sign zach Ertz to their practice squad on monday morning um some people they're calling zach Ertz a ring chaser mark are you one of those people i mean maybe but look laporte is still dealing with a knee injury he suffered a week 18 he's playing with at least i don't know if he played with that same offensive lineman brace in yesterday as he did in the wild card round brock wright one of their backup tight ends he had a forearm injury so they needed somebody i mean imagine though anytime in the past like 10 years five years six months using the phrase x is chasing a ring by sided with the detroit lions like to our friends at pride of detroit who are watching right now Pinch yourselves. You're not dreaming. Like, this is happening. That's, I mean, uh, the comment from, yeah. from Pride of Detroit. Signing in Detroit to chase a ring. What a world. Yeah, um, yeah like throwback to like Antonio McDice. That's the last person to sign with Detroit to, to chase a ring. Um, what a okay. pull. Uh, yeah, that's, that's why they pay me the relatively moderate the bucks. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder, wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Uh, JP, um, the Green Bay Packers almost did it. And really, more than anything, Kyle Shanahan is such a coward. The 49ers won 24-21 to at the very end of uh, Saturday night's game, obviously, against the Packers. Um, this game, JP, incited the Brock Purdy discourse. There was a lot of chatter about Brock Purdy on the internet. People had opinions. People had thoughts. Um, Jordan Love managed to make them so by having the worst decision of all time on his last throw of his incredible season. Um, your thoughts on the game we witnessed in Santa Clara? Oh boy, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Niners fan. That was that was very uncomfy for about 55 minutes. Um, the Brock Purdy thing. I'm tired of the discussion. So the only thing I'll say is this. He played bad until the final. And it's drive. okay to say that. Like after after like, the- it, it can be okay. Like you can not- just say that and the world doesn't have to end. It's fine yeah. to say that. It's fine to say that. It was in the rain. He was wiping his hands off during a that play. That was so weird. Like that stuff, that stuff happened. You play bad in the rain. Like that that happens. But I think a lot of what what makes San Francisco so tough to stop and so tough to beat is that even when Brock Purdy doesn't play well. Even when Debo Samuel goes out with an injury, which is massive, which is it's very important that Debo is healthy for that offense. Their their offensive like uptick, their their efficiency goes way down 
when Debo doesn't play. So him not being available for the NFC Championship game is potentially huge. But even still, Debo's out. Brock Perry doesn't play well. Just give the ball to Christian McCaffrey. The, the touchdown run he had was insane. Just it's it's so impressive, the body control, the contact balance, and then the speed to finish the playoff. George Kittle had a phenomenal day. Trent Williams was awesome. Jawan Jennings is one of my favorite players in the league because he does like traditional wide receiver stuff, but is also a lead blocker. Um, on the big George Kittle catch and run, he sees George Kittle catch the ball and then immediately blocks the DB guarding him into the stands, into the sidelines. If you like, that's so cool to me. But look, man, it's as long as Brock Purdy isn't playing in the rain, like this, this is this feels like it's going to be a discussion for the entire offseason. And I'm just not here for it. Please, I have had enough of the Brock Purdy thing. We need to be done with it. Um, from the Packers' perspective, it is very funny that all the comparisons were for love to Rodgers, and then he pulled a Brett Favre at the end of the game. Like, that was the most Brett Favre of Brett Favre throws. Um, I actually thought this game was really interesting because the defense played well. Like, when we think about the Packers, we don't think of a Joe Barry defense playing very well, but they played great. Like, they were able to defend the run. They were able to defend the pass out of base personnel. Preston Smith was not a meme in pass coverage. But, you know, you just the, the margins for error in the NFL are razor thin. And you just make those small mistakes and they separate you a little bit. The missed field goal, that's going to be huge. The interception at the end, that's rough. But there are young teams going to come back from learning from those mistakes. But at the same time, you kind of feel like, dang, you probably should have won that one. And then also Kyle Shanahan is a coward like that. It is so, so funny that he is one of the offensive geniuses in football, but doesn't know how to manage a clock. It's I made the tweet early uh, during the game, but it's like Martian Manhunter being like equivalent to Superman in terms of power level, but being his weakness being fire. Um, like, are you serious, man? Like, come on, Mark. It does feel like San Francisco's was the most hollow of the four victories over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Niners fan, you're not feeling too confident this Monday morning at the water cooler, but then you probably check the weather forecast and there's no sign of rain this weekend, so you feel a little bit better about things. If I'm Brock Purdy, I'm spending a significant amount of time this offseason with a bucket of balls and a bucket of water and getting used to throwing in the rain because we had this discussion when they lost to Cleveland. It was what that day. And right. I literally, RJ, you asked me, like, are you worried about this? I'm like, I'm worried about him playing in the rain. I mean, now we're seeing it. This is why QB hand size day kind of matters eventually. Um, does does this two-game stretch save Joe Barry in Green Bay? Like, does it? I mean, <laughs> um, defense played well these past two weeks. Does it save Joe oh, Barry? Man. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, it's not just playing well. Like, you limited – what you, you know, did to doing Dallas, more explosive you, offenses. Yeah, yeah like, I, I just that's, throwing that out there. We heard over the past, what, month and a half, how much Jordan Love looks like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and then to have it end with that kind of throw, I couldn't help but thinking about that Brett Favre pick when he was in Minnesota, so that's that. Finally, to the Debo thing, Sports Info Solutions, on-off report for Debo. Their total EPA when he's on the field is 0.18 per play. When he's off, 0.01, a difference of 0.17. Oh That's big. Passing EPA, when he's on the field, 0.26. When he's off, 0.06. That's 0.2 when he's a difference, when he's not on the field. That's going to be a big thing if he can't go, especially to a team that, you know, like Detroit, has put together a pretty good run here. So that's probably something to keep in mind. And even with – the biggest thing for Debo on offense yeah. is the run game. Everything yeah. goes from zero really good point, to zero point zero nine on negative point zero five when he's off. Like that's a huge difference in the run game too. Kind of shaky, and I think the Niners game against the Packers kind of exposed a little bit of flaws inside the Niners offensive line, which is very much uh, it's being held up by Trent Williams being amazing, which. Shout out to Trent Williams, but against a team that will you're yeah. probably you're gonna have to score points to beat the Lions. You're gonna have to outscore them. 
it's going to be huge to not have Debo Samuel healthy. It, I think they said yeah. today he's like a 50-50 chance to play. If he doesn't play, that is so, massive. Because you think about that three-game stretch during the season where Debo did not play. So you mentioned the, the number three. Um, this is a general question, but if you're Kyle Shanahan, obviously you're a coward. But um, and we should get, we'll get into that in a moment. But on a 50-50 level, do you trust your like all-world team of like you know mutants and, and you know metahumans to beat the Lions without Debo, and you give him three weeks to rest for the Super Bowl, or do you risk it? I mean, you know, this it's a I mean, it's to, not an easy choice. To JP's point, look, he got hurt at the very start of their Week Six game against Cleveland, and he was out the next two weeks, three losses in a row. Like you gotta know, get, like if you, you gotta but get, if you there. can make it through. If you can make it through this game, and it's a huge, like literally the biggest possible if you give him three weeks to get right for like the game of all games. I mean, that's a, but that's assuming. That's yeah, you gotta get. That's what I'm saying. Like, what? So what? How? Because then you're just giving. Where, where would you season. roll the dice? That's what I'm asking no. each of you. Would you play him or not? Yeah, this week. I'm rolling the dice. I'm rolling. The dice. If he could go, game. he goes. Okay. Like. Guys, it's just a question. It can't no, be. I'm I mean, just relax. I mean, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm, if he says he can go, um, he's going because that team. We didn't really talk about it, but so at the end of the first half, Kyle Shanahan very clearly is playing just to keep the ball away. He's so terrified of the idea that he's going to leave time on the clock and the Packers are going to utilize it to go kick a last second field goal that he's just like, you know, piddle paddle around and winds up settling for a field goal himself that the football gods decide is way too cowardice and cause a block on. So equilibrium is kept and they wound up obviously winning the game by three points. So that proved to be significant, but JP, like this is not unusual for Kyle Shanahan. Like he, he is a, deathly afraid of these moments. He goes way too galaxy brain. He needs a, he needs a clock manager coach. He, he needs, he needs to play Madden. He needs to watch some Madden streams of people like using timeouts effectively and using the clock effectively and efficiently. This seems to be a problem with like most Shanahan disciples, uh, three yeah. guys. Like Tom McVay had this problem for a large part of like up until last year. Matt Lafleur just got. We saw over it a, like a little bit year. with Sean McVay against Detroit last week. I mean, like it's just... yeah. I don't know what it is about the offensive geniuses. I feel like Mike McDaniel kind of missed it a little bit, maybe a little bit. But what is it about, like, just trying to kill the clock? You have the most efficient offense in football. You have stars on the field everywhere. Why are you playing like you have nobody at quarterback and a bunch of nobodies on that offense? You think they're going to – sure, if they – you get the ball at halftime. You get the ball coming out. You get, you have a chance to double dip and go touchdown, touchdown, and maybe that game isn't as close as it, as it is. But it's just you can't do that against Detroit. You cannot settle for field goals against Detroit because Detroit will try and score touchdowns. That will be the, mar the margin for error in this game, in the NFC Championship game. You have to score touchdowns because Detroit is always trying to score touchdowns which is very funny considering the offensive genius is the one who kicks field goals and the meathead coach is always going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The meathead, like just want to like play football the way it was meant to be played. Dude is the guy who's like, yeah, that's funny. Uh, Mark, do you want to call Kyle Shanahan a coward? I just wonder if he's still scarred from 28, three, sorry. Just had to get that reference. in. Just, I just had to get that. reference. <laughs> in. Um, yeah. I mean, but you know, there might be some like reality in that, yeah. right? Like, I mean, it's, you know, because I mean, he stayed aggressive in that game, and then you get Dante Hightower with the, the play of the that's really swung the out most, with the strip sack. So that is the most underrated play in NFL history. He had, and then no, he had the Marshawn, the, the Marshawn, and, and that yeah. sack are the right. two best plays in Super Bowl history by a defensive player. Changed my mind. I'm so glad we're talking yeah, about Dante you, Hightower. He's one of the most underrated linebackers. You know that meme where it's like, what can you talk them. about for 30 minutes unprompted? And it's me and yeah. Dante Hightower and how incredible a player he was. You're like, I mean, 270 linebacker covering yeah. tight ends and rushing off yeah. the edge. You, don't you, you would certainly know better than us, Mark, but like, I would put Dante Hightower's contributions as far as the overall Patriots. I don't even know that we can use the word dynasty, but like, Diamond he run, stuffed. uh, like Marshawn Lynch with a torn labrum in his shoulder. I have one in both shoulders, I can't pick up groceries, and he did that he's, in the he's Super Bowl. Like, what? 
he's directly responsible for two of the like most yeah. the, like the five most catalytic moments. And he had a huge playoff history. that defense that he against Jerry Goff too. Like mm-hmm. he was he, he yeah. was the piece. He should have been Jared the MVP of that the Rams game. Like I'm still mad about that too. So yeah. Anyway, um, high tower. Not goes. much to. Not much to offer here. Um, the Baltimore Ravens made quick work of the Ra- of the Texans, excuse me, in the second half. Uh, this game was tied at halftime. Obviously, it was ten to ten, just like um, the Chiefs Bills game was, and then it wasn't anymore. Uh, it was only tied, by the way, because the Texans had a punt return touchdown. I wrote this for SBNation.com. I was you know carrying y'all's bags a little bit. Um, do y'all know the last time there was a punt return uh, for a touchdown in the playoffs prior to Saturday? I mean, I know it was a long time because you wrote the story, but thank you. That's right. Yeah, good, good context go there. Uh, it was 11 years ago. It was two, the 2012 divisional round as well. It was Trendon Holiday who did it for the Broncos against the Ravens mm-hmm. uh, in the crazy Jacoby Jones, you know, overtime win. Obviously, they had um, and the Ravens. Rachel, remember this when we get to MFL MVP won the Super Bowl. So last time there was a punt return, uh, you know, in the playoffs for a touchdown, it happened against the Ravens. And the Ravens wind up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, and it seems like that is going to happen uh, this year. Uh, the Ravens, JP, just exploded. And just, like, exploded and exploded and exploded. And it was impossible to stop Lamar Jackson over the second half of this game. Hi, Rachel. Sorry, JP. This oh, is my time let's to shine. Go. <laughs> all I got to say right now is, like, well, 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 what do all the Lamar Jackson haters have to say now? I'm like, they're probably quiet because we shut them up. Like, you can't say anything. This guy had a historic performance on a day. Four touchdowns on the day, two were on the ground, two in the air. He had 100-plus passer rating. Like, he was just incredible, phenomenal. So I just want to say I hope that all of the Lamar Jackson haters are shut up, finally, because the one in three playoff wins, like, you can't say anything now. He looked phenomenal. So I just had to, you know, throw that out go, there. Go off. Yeah. Man, I hope go, it. Keep going. <laughs> oh, this family. Oh, Carry on. Steelers, Carry Steelers on. family members you have, I hope you made it a long day for them, Rachel, because you, you certainly did Oh, yeah, they were definitely hating. All they keep saying is, well, wait till next week. And I'm like, I'll just enjoy this while it lasts because we're going all the way. That's right. But carry on, JP. You got it. I think the funniest thing about this game is in the first half, this looked very much like, um, remember the 2021 Dolphins uh, Ravens game on like, I think it was like a Thursday night oh, football. Oh, yeah. The what's his name? Where- Flip. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Flip. Yeah. Uh, was it Hunt? Yeah. Who was it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah it was Robert Hunt. And uh, that was a Thursday. That yeah, was a Thursday was, night game. Uh, Good call. Yeah. Yeah, the Thursday night game. Um, Brian Flores just absolutely pantsed Greg Roman because all they did was zero blitz. They would just blitz every single time, and it would not only speed up the process for Lamar, but it would force the offense to change. And Greg Roman couldn't change. All the routes were long developing downfield for the first half of the game. It was like that, even from the first drive. The first pressure the Texans sent was absolutely dirty, by the way. D'Amico Ryans decided decided going into this game to completely break tendency. They don't blitz a lot, but they went into this game saying, screw it, we're throwing everything at Lamar. We're throwing everything at the league MVP. And for the most part, it kind of worked in the first half. Even on that first blitz call, Lamar was drifting away to his right. You know, like he was he was under pressure. And you they were getting him short of the sticks. Christian Harris had a phenomenal game. But the difference in Greg Roman and Todd Munkin is they Todd Munkin adjusted in the second half. They went to more quick routes. They went to they went to using their athletes in space. On the first stick route, Isaiah Likely, stiff arms Desmond King gets 16 yards. Next one, Aguilar, then Zay Flowers. And you just it's dinking and dunking, but it's effective. It's effective dinking and dunking because if they're gonna blitz, they're gonna play off coverage because they don't want to get beat deep. Just throw it short and let your playmakers make plays. This was a phenomenal Todd Munkin game in terms of adjustments and a phenomenal one based on all reports by Lamar Jackson going into halftime saying, hey, this isn't going to work. We need to change. We got to step up. That's what MVP's doing. He was forceful in that game. You could feel the force that Lamar plays with when you watch him. The, the way that he moves, the, the runs, the passing – you can tell how that de- that defense changed when Lamar has the ball in his hands. So this was a phenomenal game of adjustments by both uh, Todd Munkin and Mike McDonald, who, again, like, 
we we seriously have to discuss the run that this Ravens defense is on in terms of who they face this year. They face Bobby Slowick twice. They face Ben Johnson, Shane Waldron, Kyle Shanahan. They're going to face Andy Reid. They have been, they've pitched shutouts every single time. Like that is an impressive, impressive run. Like this is, <laughs> I made the I made the one punch man reference because Mike McDonald is Garu taking out all the members of the Hero Society. He is taking out every single member of the Shanahan acolyte or Shanahan tree. Even Mike McDaniel, like that, everybody was getting got. I mean, the one team that kind of got close was Sean McVay, and that was because they had a superhuman quarterback. So they had yeah. a superhuman quarterback and some rain. So it's just been such an impressive run for McDonald and that defense. Just an impressive run for the Ravens, who have answered every question this year, like emphatically. Yeah, and I think Mike McDonald, he may still be their defensive coordinator next year, but he's not going to be there for long. Like this run is absolutely tremendous. You know, to JP's point about the adjustments, look, they were blitzed on 13 of 18 dropbacks in the first half. That game flipped on that first drive of the third quarter because their very first pass and play, three slants to the left, they blitzed, he hits Aguilar. Then you had that stick route again, another blitz, he hits likely 19-yard gain. Then they had a third-level blitz. And the one from Petrie that came from depth, kudos to Lamar. Okay, because on on a lot of these plays, I, I think it was the stick one. He used his cadence. He saw the blitz. They were in pistol. He bumped Edwards to a regular shotgun alignment. So he was able to pick up that inside blitz. And then on the Petrie one, he came from depth again, used his cadence, saw it was coming, hit the slant route, replaced the blitz with the ball right down the field. And then the touchdown run, another great call from Monken because they were at times spying him. So what do you do? You go design QB run. You have Edwards as a lead blocker to take on Cashman, who's the spy touchdown. That's when that game ended. Like in and, and JP's, you know, comparison to that Thursday night game and Roman didn't adjust and Monken does adjust and Lamar plays with the, the adjustments extremely well. Just an absolutely tremendous job at that halftime to first drive. That's when the game ended. And then for McDonald, I mean, I don't know what else you could say about what he's done with this defense. It has been the run that they're on, what they've done. I mean, to what they did against the Lions midseason when it was like, oh man, you know potential you know sneaky little Super Bowl preview which is still in play and just erase them and then what they did against the Niners what they did against the Dolphins what they did this week against somebody that's getting head coach and interviews and CJ Stroud who may be offensive rookie of the year just an absolutely masterful run and there's one more there is one more to complete the Infinity Stone collection and now you got to take out I mean you get the big boss now you you get the final boss RJ, I think you're muted. I said you could argue that both ways because I believe that the Niners have now, now that they're playing Detroit, will have played every NFC playoff team this season um, at one point. So you could argue, I mean, that would be kind of cool. Like, is it like, you know, obviously they played, you know, two in the playoffs now, but uh, that would be just kind of a cool thing. Um, I did want to offer on the Houston note. I mean, it's going to be very fun to watch the future of this team. I don't know who it is. I haven't invested enough time to kind of figure it out. But I think that we're we're a oh my gosh of course um, away like that's going to happen like Houston's going to acquire somebody that we can't quite envision right now and it's going to be the most like oh duh like D'Amico just got his whatever I don't you both are smiling I don't know that you you have a name in mind I haven't given, again given this thought myself do you both have a player in mind so I had a player in mind defensively. Uh, Levante David. There, I mean, there we go. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's going to be the most yeah. like high. Now it does. It won't be, but like the most like hiding in plain sight. Like, how did we not see it? How did we not see it? How did we not see it? And then like, oh my gosh! Like he like on the subject of final infinity stones. Like he just got in this case like the captain of his defense. You know what I mean? The like the the patrol man, the like sheriff, whatever you want to call it. Like, um, that's definitely happening this offseason. That's a great call. Or like maybe a settlement is like Bobby Wagner. You know what I mean? Like some somebody to just like instill some sort of like. Corporate knowledge. They they need an OG. They they need a vet in the room yeah. defensively. Mm-hmm. They need another like impact defensive player on the uh, defensive line, a second corner, which you can probably get in the draft. But I think this game 
was kind of like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be crowning Bobby Slowick <laughs> as like the next great head coach candidate. We might have, and I say, I use we royally here. We kind of jumped out a little bit over okay. our skis because he, and this has been a problem that Bobby Slowick has had for the entire season. He's been very run heavy for a team that cannot run the ball. And as soon as the Ravens figured out that the Texans couldn't run the ball, that game ended. Because where Houston wants to get you is we're going to show like we can run the ball. We're going to get to 21 and 12 personnel to make you get into bigger personnel and then throw the ball off of that. But the Ravens were like, we're not going to do it. <laughs> like, we're not going to get into our bigger personnel because you can't run the ball. We're good with playing with a lighter box because Justin Matabike is going to kick butt up front. He had a phenomenal game, excuse me, as well. But I feel like we kind of crowned Bobby Slowick a little too early. I feel like we kind of did the same thing with Dave Canales a little bit. I mean, Dave Canales was so fine. Give, give yeah, Canales was fine. I mean, um, no, I mean, yeah. I'm saying like in the grand scheme of things. Like give him another year. On the run game, game note, again, not that this is the same final Infinity Stone, but because Damian Pierce ain't it, Devin Singletary has been nice. Derek Henry to Houston in the offseason. Oh, do this. Why would you do this? I mean, no, but like, <laughs> that'd be awesome. That'd be so much fun. Um, it would be fun. <laughs> for me. Um, okay. Uh, quickly, because uh, we'll be back next Monday, obviously. Super Bowl picks, conference championship winners. Mark, you're first. Oh, man. Baltimore coming out of the AFC. I just think they're so good right now. And. Detroit, I don't know. I just there's something about this team and that Niners win does not inspire confidence. Okay, so you're going Ravens Lions. So yeah. So in the beginning of the season, I don't know if you guys remember, but my preseason Super Bowl pick was uh uh Chiefs Niners. And I'm not gonna choose them again because I don't think it's gonna happen, but I also think that the uh the Super Bowl graphic like conspiracy theory. Uh. I'm starting to kind of bump in a little bit. I'm sorry, like, hey, this thing has legs. So um, I'm going to go Ravens Niners. So you're – okay. It's kind of so like you're leaning into the, the conspiracy. I'm I'm leaning into it. I'm not going full Rodgers, but I'm leaning into um, it. By the way, so they usually unveil, like, the next Super Bowl logo, like, on the Monday after. If it is Chiefs – or, excuse me, Ravens Niners, it'd be, like – it will be the most, like – Live, yeah, like, like people will be yeah. like dying oh, for the it's logo. It's gonna be white, and people yeah. will be like, no, 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 that's Dolphins colors, or right. yeah. Uh, okay, so you're going Ravens Niners, Mark. You're going Ravens Lions. Um, I'm also taking the Ravens. So clean sweep for the Ravens here, as far as the AFC. Uh, we're the losers that are doubting Patrick Mahomes. Um, just yeah, clear. imagine that. Um, and I'm kind of with you, Mark. I think, I, I think you've got to be, either be like you know good enough, or and I mean this in a good way, like. Um, inexperienced enough to be able to beat the Niners. And I think the Lions are like a, a perfect combination. Like they're good enough while, while also like, like I think most teams are afraid of the Niners and they play into that. And like the Lions don't know any better. Like they're just like, we're here. We don't care who you are. Like, and all that stuff, all that rah-rah stuff like kind of works for games like this. So I'm going to take Ravens, Lions, and let's enjoy. Uh, Rachel, if you could join us and offer your Super Bowl pick and anything else you'd like. And of course, your MFWP award handout, please. Yes. Super Bowl pick, Ravens, Lions. I feel like that's easy, especially with Debo, if we don't know if he's going to be able right. to, get, to go this upcoming weekend. That's a huge loss, like you guys already touched on. And so Ravens, Lions, for sure. Today, I'm going to give it to Mark. Uh, not Mark. Sorry. sorry. Oh, it's like wow. the Oscars where they like read the wrong one. Wow, you're La La Land. RJ, sorry. RJ, Let's go on it. Moonlight. <laughs> you're Moonlight. <laughs> Let's go. Wow. Rewind. Sorry. Um, that is uh thank you, Rachel, first of all. Uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you, JP. Thank you, Lamar. Thank you, uh Jared Goff. Thank you, uh Dan Campbell, even. Um, I will say that is um I can if I had to pick like my five favorite moments ever to be on Twitter, that's in the top five. Like the the sequence around that was incredible, just to like experience everything. And then I remember, was it Emma Stone who won? Um, best lead actress that year for La La Land. Um, I remember, so, yeah. like, 
there was some confusion about the envelope and whatever. And she was like, well, I saw the envelope. And like her comment like added to the, um, you know, the like intrigue in the mystery. By the way, Pride of Detroit notes that three fourths of us are picking the Lions. JP, what do you have to say to the Lions fans who you don't believe? <laughs> Tell that to the NFL script writers, man. I'm just meaning uh, it. Jeremy, uh, we can say that if the Lions lose and it is Ravens Niners, that you should definitely write something for Pride of Detroit about how it was a conspiracy working against Detroit as far as the logo is concerned. So look at us, you know, creating content for you. Much like I helped Mark and JP out at, at .com. Now I'm working on stuff for Pride of Detroit. Yeah, I mean, look, it's just imagine RJ the, Nation. Imagine the NFL. Imagine the NFL conspiring against the Detroit Lions. Like, saying that phrase, like, yeah. 10 years ago. That's wild, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, That's as we leave, uh, Mark, I would like you to tell us something that you promise to watch between now and next Monday's episode. And it cannot be a sporting event. Oh, uh, that's easy. Uh, season three of Slow Horses, Slow Horses on Apple TV. It is based on a series of books about spies and MI6. It's fantastic. The books are great. Watch the premiere of uh, season three with my wife on Saturday night and tremendous television so i can't wait to get to episode two and beyond okay i finished jury duty over the weekend have anybody seen that i supposed to be good i haven't watched it though it is very good but also like kind of truman show terrifying um so it's on prime it's about um quickly uh maybe rachel jp or mark when you're not watching slaw horses if you want to watch it um there's a a fake jury that is like put on like for a fake case and everybody involved is an actor except for one person who believes it to be real. Uh, and so like every, everyone is like going along with it and they have to like sequester him and everything. And so like he believes this to be real the entire time. Uh, but everyone is just like going along with the joke. It's all these like improv actors. It's, it's really, again, very Truman showy, uh, but very entertaining. And he winds up being very wholesome. If he weren't, then this would really suck. So thank you. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Go. JP, say one last word and we leave. Lions. <laughs> <laughs>Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder, wherever you get your podcasts.